let's uh, listen to the word of God this morning. God has a mission. God has a mission. And we get to be part of it. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this text. I pray now that these words of mine may not be my words, but they may be your words. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Sweep us up in your courtship of the world in Jesus Christ. We love you. We praise you. We thank you, God. Amen. Well, perhaps as you've gotten to know me a bit over the last year and a half here, you have gotten the vibe that I love music. I love music. I love all kinds of music, classical, jazz, rock. I could be in my, you know, uh, at my desk listening to Aaron Copeland and then go play acoustic guitar and then be rocking out to the Atari's blistering version of Boys of Summer and then listen to Kelly Clarkson's wonderful voice and then hear some Charlie Parker or Stanley Turrentine on saxophone. I grew up uh, playing saxophone. That's where I first got into music. My parents got me a Bundy saxophone. I was in fourth grade. Joined the band at school. I'm not a trained serious musician like these cats up here or like John or Beth or Catherine or Richard at our first service. But I have been playing instruments since fourth grade. I've gotten into guitar second, sort of the second half of my life, but I still have my alto sax. My parents, God bless them, love you, mom and dad. They got me Yamaha saxophones, including the famed, which I still have, the famed Yamaha YAS 62 series alto, patterned after the famed Selmer Mark 6 series. Ooh, things can still, things can still, the thing can still blow. Anyway. But I'll tell you, there were two key things about my musical history, two key moments that stand out. One was one day after school, I was going to pick up my saxophone. This is back in junior high school when they had junior high schools. And Mr. Bruce Herring, who was our music, our band director, leaned off, I think he leaned in his chair and he said, hey, Matt, why don't you come by stage band today? What? Yes, this was like, I was in the main band, but stage band, well, that was like if you're in the army and you're asked to join the Green Berets. You know what I mean? I got the stage band and loved it. And one summer, I just remember practicing a lot, a lot, just sitting in my room, playing my saxophone, and it was the scales, just remembering the scales, just I can almost feel, I can feel the E scale, the D scale. I can feel under my fingers. It's the reps. It's the reps. It gets in you. And the thing is, with music, as with anything, the more you know the basics, the freer you are. That's what improvisation 
is all about, right? The more you know the basics, the freer you are. The reps get under your fingers or whatever. You get the muscle memory going on, and it stays in you. It's the reps with anything. Same goes for discipleship. Jesus tells us to go and make disciples. The Greek word for discipleship here, mathete, is a very interesting word. Scholar Dale Bruner writes, Interestingly, the usual missionary terms are not employed here. We get disciple, go and make disciples. We don't get preach, convert, win, and such. A slower, lower profile verb, Dr. Bruner says, is used. Disciple, go and make disciples. It's almost a scholastic, schoolish word. Disciple. To disciple means to make students of, to bring to school, to educate, or in modern English terms, to mentor, to apprentice. This word gives you a picture of students sitting around a teacher more than it gives you a sense of penitence kneeling at an altar. An educational process more than an evangelistic crisis, Dr. Bruner says. Evangelism and penitence have their place, but they sit within this bigger circle of getting schooled in Jesus. The term make disciples, Dr. Bruner says, has a basic character that relaxes and says, in effect, hey, work with people over a period of time in the simple educational process of teaching Jesus. Work with people over a period of time in the simple educational process of teaching Jesus. Only the Lord of the universe can do the big things like convert, win, bring repentance, or bring a person to decision. All authority is his and his alone. Remember the text. We'll talk more about that. God does that stuff. God does the heavy lifting. We we make disciples. And of course, that starts with us. Maybe that's the most important for us. Make disciples. Go and make disciples includes us making ourselves disciples. And notice as well the heart of God here shows up very fast. It's one with the whole idea. We go and make disciples of all nations. Disciples of all nations. Tanta ethnos. Ethnos in the Greek from ethnic. Sweep. Reach. Our church supports ministries all over the world. Taiwan, Russia, Uganda. You've probably heard more about that. Some of us may be called to go to such places, short-term or long-term. But as people in the Pacific Northwest at this cultural moment, if you look around, it's hard to miss the fact that the world, well, the world is coming to us. I've been in uh, stores the last few months and I've noticed there have been times when half the people I see are speaking a different language. How amazing is that? What a gift. Here's a challenge that will draw us deeper into the heart of God if we, if we try it. Try this. Make it a point this week. Make it a point this week to have a significant interaction with someone you come across who is from a different culture and see what God does with that. 
If you already have someone in your life who's from a different culture, ask what would it be like, what would it mean to go to the next level with this person in relationship? Our world is getting more and more diverse. The diversity comes to us, and that diversity is delicious, literally, if you're a foodie like me, right? But it's also delicious spiritually, because when we move toward the diversity, we experience the heart, the big heart of God, revealed right here at the heart of the mission. Go and make disciples of all nations. As we move toward other people from other nations, other cultures, we are making ourselves disciples of all nations, right? We're recognizing the inclusive heart of God. To God wants everybody. We move more deeply into God's heart. Well, as we go and make disciples of all nations, I, I discern here a tripartite division, baptizing, Teaching and calling to obedience. So he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. So I feel like in the teaching to obey, there's the teaching content and there's a call to obedience. So baptizing, teaching, and calling to obedience. So baptizing, sort of like taking the family name. When we baptize, we give people the family name, the God's family name, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When I baptize, often I don't say the last name. I mean, I love last names, don't get me wrong. But really, when you become a Christian, your last name is really the Trinity now, right? That's the new fam, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So when we baptize, we give people the family name in through the water. Teaching, we learn the family way. And we teach the family way. And in calling for obedience, we live the family way. Take the family name, learn the family way, and live the family way as the family of God. Now, of course, this is a process. We're all in process. You know the old hymn? You might know it. It took him six days to make the world, but he's still working on me, right? We're all in that. It's a process of learning who we are, learning how to live in light of who we are, and then live in. Look at the disciples. And I think there's two key things in their life that if you want to make yourself a disciple and you want to make disciples are crucial. And those two things are routines and relationships. Routines and relationships. The core of the whole thing with these guys and Jesus is that they hung out with him every day. Often they did stuff together. They had a routine. They had a program. They didn't break program. Well, sometimes they did. They were they rebelled a little bit. They had struggles. But consistently, if you graphed it out, they had their ups and downs, but the graph was consistent. They hung out with Jesus in relationship with Jesus. They had a routine. So a question to ask is, what routines and relationships feed your sense of baptized identity as a member of God's family? What routines in your life and relationships in your life feed your sense of being a baptized member of God's family? And what routines and relationships do you have with others to feed their sense of being a baptized member of God's family or inviting them into that? Notice, by the way, before Jesus mentions teaching or obedience, he mentions baptism. This is very interesting. don't want to be too rigid about this. But it's interesting that the sense of the text is Jesus invites us to belong and take the family name before he calls us to obey, right? Belong, believe, become. 
be baptized, teaching to obey. Again, I don't want to rigidify that, but I think that's interesting. Come on in. Let Jesus work on you. Well, besides baptism itself, what other routines and what other relationships do we have in our lives to remind us of who we are? That we're people baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, we have Bible study. Many of you have those. You have fellowship with one another. We do that. Worship, we're doing that now. Singing together. We had Dick Hansen's beautiful memorial service yesterday. Dick Hansen passed away in his mid-80s. Dear man. Some of you may know him. He was a uh, a well-known um, landscape architect. And he actually, uh, his... his um, his company helped design the Skywalker Ranch, George Lucas's ranch. <laughs> he had projects overseas. He was a sweetheart. He was full of whimsy and joy and depth and the professorial gravitas, but in a West Coast kind of way. What a cool dude. Just loved him. Well, we heard during his, he actually planned out his worship service. He had it written up. And part of it was he, uh, Dick was a singer. And so he, we had places in his worship service yesterday here, his memorial service, which was a worship service, where we listened. We got to listen to Dick sing. <sighs> Recordings of Dick singing, accompanied by piano from Rob Coe. And what rang so clear in his singing was that Dick, in his singing, was discipling himself. He was being discipled in his identity as a child of God as he worshipped. When we worship, we become discipled. We remember who we are and whose we are. That's one routine. Book of Colossians, we're studying that this week and in our Bible study there um, with our Wednesday morning group. They, it says, Paul says, sing songs to one another. Encourage one another. Admonish one another with songs. Spiritual songs and psalms. So sing your identity. So that's a huge part of it. Worship, song, Bible study. It starts with remembering who we are and whose we are. Be a disciple, remembering your identity, and inviting other people to remember who they are. Maybe sing to them to remind them and tell them who they are. Are there just even one or two people in your life with whom you have a role of reminding them that they are claimed and chosen by Jesus Christ? invited into the life of the Trinity to take the family name. Anyway, that's making disciples. Also, what routines and relationships teach you Jesus and all that he is and does? This is the, the, the schooling, right? And what routines and relationships do you have with others to teach them Jesus and all that he is and does? Bible study, again, is huge in this. We're big into that here. Maybe even remembering a few key stories from Jesus' life that have intersected with yours. The Zacchaeus story is a powerful one for me. The calming the storm is a powerful one for me. Moments with Jesus that have become part of you and that call you back to him again and again. He will use that to call others to him through you. What stories have been important to you in the life of Jesus? God will use that to draw others to himself. When we repeat these stories, we relive them. And when we share these stories with others, they are invited into them as well. 
And guess what? The biblical story becomes our story. We realize it was about us all along. That's us in there. <laughs> of course, all of scripture really is about Jesus. The whole book is about him. You can find, I, we could show you things in Leviticus that are really pointing to Jesus Christ, right? So the whole Bible, so we teach the whole Bible here. We teach church history and theology because church history and theology is all about figuring out who Jesus is, what it means to obey him, what that looks like. And we are, as St. Paul says, transformed by the renewing of our minds. So this is, this is the embracing thought and understanding. What we believe, as Jim has said, makes us who we are. So being, reminding each other and helping others remember their baptismal identity in Christ and then teaching each other who Christ is and who we are in Christ. And then, of course, it's not just about thinking. It's about obedience. What routines and relationships do you have in your life where you can get some reps in, so to speak, in obedience to Jesus? What routines and relationships do you have with others to call them to get some reps of obeying Christ as his people? We have a muck, we have a food bank here right in our campus. What an amazing gift. I'm trying to, I'm volunteering twice a month in 2023. It's great for pastors to get out of the office. I love my office. Come by. It's great. But, you know, it's good to get out there and to meet people. And that's an amazing ministry. And that's a simple thing. You can make part, you make that part of your life. Our Muckleteo Food Bank, Picnic Point Elementary School has food drive needs. And they need drivers on Thursdays and also Fridays or Saturdays. Do you know that the Snohomish County Food Bank Coalition is having a logo contest? They want to have up with a logo. These are ways that you can obey Jesus in creativity using your gifts, right? Teaching them to obey, teaching myself to obey, structuring our lives with routines in the midst of relationships. And I was so blessed to, to hang out with the food bank folks this week. And Jesus met me there in that, in that moving toward his people. If you're interested in any of these things or more, talk to me, talk to Leanne. We can hook you up. There are myriad ways, a multitude of ways that you can obey Jesus with your time, talent, and treasure right here, right where you are. He'll meet you there. And it gets to be a routine within relationships. And then in that, Christ is formed in us. All of this, baptizing and living out our, or baptizing others and living out our baptismal identity, inviting others into that. Learning Jesus and inviting others into that, living in obedience to Jesus and inviting others into that takes practice. It's all about the reps, getting it under your fingers, getting it in your hearts. And it's really about the reps in routines and relationships. I love these, I have these Navy SEAL uh, training videos. It was a really cool documentary from early 2000s. Um, and they follow a class, I think it's 232 group of guys and who actually a number of them became active SEALs. And one of the SEAL instructors in this video, it goes through, I think there's eight episodes and the last uh, episode, one of the last ones, their weapons training on one of the islands uh, off of Southern California. And their weapons instructor, Wiedemann, instructor Wiedemann says, uh, we train hard. He says, we train harder than we fight. We train hard. We train harder than we fight. That's interesting, isn't it? On a major raid they did, we know the SEALs built a replica of the building they were raiding and practiced over and over and over and over again. 
It's a lot of, it's all about the reps. But of course, there is one huge, massive, mighty, colossal difference between discipleship in Jesus and, say, learning saxophone or learning naval, naval special warfare ops. In this case, the one calling us to learn him, what work, or we should say, in this case, what we're learning, I already gave you a clue what I'm about to say. In this case, what we're learning is a who, and he is alive. The one we are learning is alive. He is really present. He is really here. So this is never just learning to be like him. This is learning to be with him. And that's good. Because perhaps if you're as human as I am, you find yourself both intrigued by all this discipleship stuff and maybe a bit overwhelmed by it. Welcome to the club. Notice how this begins, by the way, this story, this little text. It begins with worship, which is interesting. It says they worship him. Remember how before he says a thing, they meet him and they worship him, which is interesting. So anybody who wants to somehow downgrade Jesus to you know, a, a, one of God's greatest followers or something or a great example, this text won't let us do that. He is God because he receives worship. He doesn't rebuke their worship. That is huge. So they worship him. He doesn't rebuke it. But you know what else they do? They doubt. It says they worship and some doubt it. And he doesn't rebuke that either. He receives their worship and he receives their doubts. Scholar Dale Bruner describes it this way. Theologically and spiritually, the report that even some of the disciples who worship Jesus also doubted is evangelical and profound. By reporting worship and doubt in the same sentence, Matthew tells his church that the structure of Christian faith and life is bipolar. Disciples live their lives between worship and doubt or mixed with both worship and doubt. Can you relate? I can. Do you always feel like it? I don't. None of us always feels like it. But here's the thing. We're not the center. Jesus is. And he comes to us. And he calls us anyway to be his disciples. He calls us to make disciples. He calls worshipful doubters. And he says, all authority is given to me. And then he calls us to make disciples and to be disciples. And then he says, I'm with you always. Notice the text itself. This call, this great commission, this sending out to make disciples, to be disciples, is surrounded. It begins with Jesus saying, "All." Th- so if you have the call right here, right in the center, go and make disciples. Before that, above it, upper part of the, the another concentric circle out is all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching. I'm with you always. So it's as if this call, it's not as if, It is the fact that this call to make disciples is surrounded in a bigger reality. Our call is surrounded by Jesus. He can call us because he's got us. We are his. We'll have our ups and downs, but it doesn't disqualify us because we keep going back to him as worshipful doubters. And he comes to us daily and he surrounds us. Another scholar said, Notice it's not to angels or perfect believers, 
but to worshiping, wavering disciples to whom the world mission is entrusted. This is how our God rolls. He trusts his mission to wavering doubters. He trusts us because he's got us. He comes to worshipful doubters. He comes to you and me today. May we join the one who surrounds us with himself for the adventure of a lifetime. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.